The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, we'll be talking about cardiovascular disease reversal. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Brian Asbill. Dr. Asbill is a cardiologist at Asheville Cardiology Associates and medical director of the Preventive Cardiology for Mission Health CHIP, the Complete Health Improvement Program, an intensive therapeutic lifestyle change program offered through Lifestyle Medicine Institute for Prevention, Management, and Reversal of Vascular Disease. He's also the medical director of the Ornish Lifestyle Medical Program at Mission Hospital. Originally from Columbia, South Carolina, Dr. Asbill graduated from Davidson College in 1990 and the Medical University of South Carolina in 1994. He completed his residency in internal medicine at the University of Virginia. He joined Asheville Cardiology Associates in 2001 after finishing his cardiology fellowship at Medical University of South Carolina. He's board certified in cardiology, lipidology, and lifestyle medicine. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm so excited to be talking to you today because heart disease is the number one killer in this country. So there's naturally a lot of interest in preventing the disease. And most cardiologists really treat heart disease, but you do more to prevent and actually reverse heart disease. So what was your path to going from treatment to prevention? Well, I've been a cardiologist, a clinical cardiologist in Asheville now for going on 18 years. And for the first two or three years, as as you have probably also experienced, is just getting your feet wet and making sure that you know what you're doing and living up to expectations, figuring it all out. After about maybe eight or nine years, I, I started getting a sense that what I was doing was just not making the difference to my patients' lives that I had envisioned. I had had patients who I had sent for bypass surgery, for example, or coronary artery stenting or angioplasty, who were coming back with recurrent symptoms, more chest pain, ending up with more procedures. And I thought, this is not exactly what I had envisioned. And so about seven years ago or so, I saw a patient who was really the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. He spent half of the year in Ohio and half of the year in Western North Carolina and was a 65-year-old retired businessman who had had two open-heart procedures, two bypass surgery procedures, and unfortunately was having chronic daily angina. He was having chronic chest pain with exertion on a daily basis. It really was, was impacting his quality of life. And it had been recommended to him actually at a very well-known hospital in Cleveland, Ohio, that he have a third bypass surgery. And as fate would have it, I ended up seeing him as a consultation and 
after some discussion, I said, you know, you, you've had two bypass surgeries and you're still having symptoms. I sort of hate to tell you that I, I don't think that the third time is the charm here and your symptoms are stable. So maybe we can, can take an alternate approach. So I actually gave him the book Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease by Caldwell Esselstyn who, that a patient had actually given to me and said, call me if your symptoms change. Call me if you start having worsening chest pain, but go do this for three months or so. And let's, let's just see what happens. So he made really some dramatic changes. This man was taking several nitroglycerin a day just to get through the day, to walk the dog, to get the mail, really significantly limited. And it wasn't the, uh, wasn't what he had expected in his retirement. So I said, try this for three months and come back. And honestly, I, I sort of forgot a little bit about it. We're busy. And then he came back three months later and I was absolutely blown away. I saw him walk in the office first of all, and he looked different. He, it actually turns out he'd lost 27 pounds in 90 days or so, but he just, he looked healthier. His color was better. He looked happier. He just, looked more vibrant to me and it took me a minute to realize who he was. So we went into the exam room and closed the door, which is the best part of the day. And I, I talked with him in a little bit more detail. And the first thing he said to me that really just blew me away was he said, you know, Brian, I was taking nitroglycerin on a daily basis, as you know, and I drastically changed my diet. I couldn't exercise. I drastically changed my diet from st the standard American diet, SAD, SAD, to a whole food plant-based diet. And literally within a week, he had not, not taken a single nitroglycerin tablet for the remainder of those three months and was walking on a treadmill at some certain speed and elevation for 30 minutes a day. And after that, office visit. I, I walked out of the office that day thinking there's something else out there that is far more powerful for these patients than what I've been offering. I told him in the office, I said, there's nothing that I could have done for you. There's no procedure that I could have done for you. There's no medication that I could have prescribed for you that would have made, I think, even a fraction of that difference. I, I told him, I think you've changed the course of my career and and it's been a little bit slow as it's developed since then but he did i i could never see what i was doing in the same light after that experience that's such a powerful story um and that's just so great to hear but i want to talk about the science behind heart disease because i don't think it's well understood you know that this difference between say treating someone with medication or angioplasty versus getting to the root cause which is you know this um, major shift that this patient made so you started off saying that you were seeing your patients get stents and then coming back and getting more procedures why does the process continue on even after a person's been treated with a procedure well that's because the process hasn't been altered. When you put in a stent, you're, you're literally essentially squashing open a cholesterol blockage so that you can get more blood flow 
to the heart muscle downstream from that blockage that is hurting when you are exerting yourself and you're, you're not able to increase the blood flow to that part of the heart. The response of that heart muscle that's getting underperfused by blood flow is that it aches, it hurts. And that can manifest in a number of different ways, but typically chest pain or shortness of breath, jaw tightness, neck pain, sometimes upper back pain, upper dis it's discomfort. And it's when you put in a stent, you, you are spot welding that spot to increase the blood flow. You're fixing the worst blockage. In general, blockages don't cause exertional chest pain or angina or angina, either pronunciation is correct, unless that blockage gets to the point where it's about 70% blocked. So you're fixing that blockage and alleviating the symptoms, but you're not doing anything to treat the 30, 20, 40%, even 50% blockages elsewhere that so far, at least at that point in time, are not contributing to any symptoms. So those are still problems for later. And perhaps more concerningly, it's, the, it's not the 70% blockage that causes heart attacks in general. That, that blockage occurs slowly enough that it causes chest pain, and that's your warning symptom. The real problem that our patients face and that all of us face is it's the 30 or 40% blockage that cracks open without warning that causes the cholesterol as it cracks open to be exposed to the bloodstream. And the bloodstream treats that exposure to this atherosclerosis, atherosis is the Greek word for gruel. So it exposes this gruel to the bloodstream and the bloodstream treats that as injury and tries to form a blood clot to, to fix it. But that blood clot then chokes off the rest of the artery and that's what causes a heart attack. And unfortunately, sudden cardiac death from a heart attack is still today the most common presenting symptom of symptomatic coronary artery disease, not angina. And, and that occurs without warning, and that's a major problem. I'm so glad you clarified that, Brian, because I think that is probably one of the most confusing parts about heart disease. You know, a lot of people have the anecdote where they know someone who may have just gotten a stress test or just had a complete physical, passed with flying colors, and then the following week, you know, drops dead from a heart attack. Right. And, and that's precisely it, that heart disease is inherently unpredictable because these 5%, 10%, 40% blockages that we wouldn't treat with a procedure are what end up causing that instantaneous blockage that turns into the heart attack. That's right. So knowing that, Let's kind of shift gears into the prevention part of it. So let's say a person has those little lesions and buildup of cholesterol in these you know, tiny little areas, 10% here, 20% there, and they don't want to be a time bomb. What, first of all, are there ways for a person to know that they have these areas of buildup and what their susceptibility is to these areas rupturing and turning into a heart attack? You know, I, I think that's an excellent question. I, and because of my interest in prevention, I have in the last seven or eight years been seeing more of these patients who come to me uh, because I'm a lipidologist, they tend to come to me with high cholesterol and intolerance to statin medications, things like Lipitor, Zocor, Crestor, and they come in with muscle symptoms and they think 
you know, what am I going to do now? I, I, I've been told by my doctor that I have high cholesterol that's dangerous and puts me at risk for a heart attack. And I can't take these medications that I understand are to reduce my risk because they ruin my quality of life. And that's a minority of people. That only occurs in about 8% or so of, of patients who are that intolerant to statin medication. But they're desperate and concerned, obviously, about their health. And I think that those are the patients um, that I talk to the most about where are you, what, who are you, what are your cardiovascular risks, what's your family history like, what are the other uh, significant risk factors do you have, things like tobacco use, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, uh, those sorts of things, even psychosocial factors. And that's, that gives me some idea of the risk. But what I have been using more than anything more recently uh, is a technique called coronary artery calcium scoring. And that is a, a very simple five-second or so CAT scan. There's no dye involved. You can go in in street clothes. There's no special preparation. And it's useful in these patients in trying to assess their individual risk. Because what happens is the cholesterol builds up in the heart artery. That cholesterol over time will then calcify. So when you do a CAT scan and you see that calcium build up in the heart arteries, the calcium is a marker of cholesterol. The cholesterol is a marker of risk. So the calcium, therefore, is a marker of risk. So we're getting a lot more information. And the guidelines actually just came out, uh, I believe, in the American Heart Association uh, guidelines in the Journal of American Cardiology uh, just came out uh, this year, actually very recently in the last few months, to give us some idea about how to use these calcium scores. There's such, there's such a thing as a MESA, M-E-S-A, Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis Risk Calculator. And you can go in and refine someone's estimate of a cardiovascular event by adding the calcium score to the things that we've always been using, like age, cholesterol, blood pressure. And when you add the calcium score, it can either move up or down that patient's risk. So if a patient came to see me and said, I have high cholesterol, I'm intolerant to statins, and we do a calcium score and it's zero, then there is a very good argument to not treat that patient's high cholesterol, at least not with medication. I would still use dietary change. And vice versa, if someone comes in, occasionally I'll get someone and in fact, I had one today that I responded to this morning who had a calcium score that was in the several hundred range, and that would correlate with that person having on angiography, on a heart cath, diffuse moderate blockage, not enough to cause necessarily angina because it's not reached that 70% or so threshold, but at least 30 or 40 or 50% blockages. So that patient's risk for a heart attack is much different from the one with a calcium score of zero. And I would say, look, we've raised the ante here for you. You are at risk. We need to recognize that. We need to deal with that. And then we need to discuss how we're going to deal with that. So the Western approach, I think, sadly, has been we're going to put you on high-dose statin. And, and I'm not saying that statins are bad. Please, please, to your listeners, don't misunderstand that. I am not saying that medications are wrong. 
I am just, I personally feel that medications as the initial approach uh, for a number of reasons is not the right initial approach. So I prefer to have conversations with those patients about their lifestyle. How, how, how active are you? How's your diet? What are you eating? How, how are you thinking? Do you practice any sort of stress reduction? Do you smoke? And those things are just so much more powerful for cardiovascular dis- disease, not reversal, but reduction in events than medications. If, you've, if you decrease total cholesterol by 50%, you decrease the risk of heart disease by about 50%. If you lower diastolic blood pressure, the lower number on blood pressure, by six millimeters of mercury, you reduce the risk of a heart attack by 16% and the risk of a stroke by 42%. If you stop smoking, you, you decrease your risk of a heart attack by 50%. If you maintain your body weight, you reduce it by around 40%. BMI less than 25. If you get 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise, you get about a 40% reduction. If you eat more than five servings of fruit and vegetables a day, you reduce it by 20 or 25%. If you do all of those things, you reduce the risk of heart disease by 90 or 95%. So that to me should be the beginning of the discussion about risk reduction in those patients who've been identified as being at high risk. Brian, thank you so much for actually spelling out those numbers because that's something that, you know, I do repeatedly simply to put the benefit of medication in the context of lifestyle. And because we don't seem to ever give those comparable numbers that, you know, you can get comparable reduction with exercise, with, you know, a lot of other lifestyle measures, as you mentioned that are comparable to medication and it's not that it has to be an either or but medicine is one piece and cholesterol reduction is one piece of the puzzle you know i think we tend to associate heart disease with cholesterol and as you just mentioned the risk is an accumulation of a lot of factors of which cholesterol is one with and that's really why you know we routinely do these coronary calcium cts and we have a lot of patients that have total cholesterols around 300, but with a zero calcium score, meaning that they don't have buildup. And, and it is this global risk that we have to look at instead of focusing so much on, on cholesterol. So I'm so glad you presented those numbers to kind of give a broader picture of the power of all these different interventions. And so, yeah, and and these recent guidelines, I was also delighted to see for the first time they've included the coronary calcium CT. And we're talking, you know, you mentioned a little bit about this whole process of reducing the risk, um, but you've done some programs that have also focused on reversal. So that's taking it one step further, saying, okay, you have the buildup, we've reduced your risk of this buildup turning into a heart attack, and now we can actually undo the buildup that's been created. Now, this is a very controversial area. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I, I, I'm interested to hear you say undo that because I don't know if that was intentional, but that, <laughs> that's certainly a word that Dean Ornish would use for sure and has used in his program. It's probably subliminal. <laughs> it might have been. So, you know, it is controversial um, and it's interesting. When, when my experience is that when I talk to my colleagues and other medical providers about disease uh, 
prevention, it is met with open arms. But when you start talking about disease reversal, you, 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 you meet some resistance from some people and that, that has been um, an interesting for me. So Dean Ornish, who I, I think is obviously uh, a, just a legend in lifestyle medicine and has done so much uh, with his work to, to change how we practice medicine. He actually published his lifestyle heart trial in the Lancet, the British Medical Journal in 1990. And it, it's such an interesting trial. I mean, it's just full of so much data and so much challenge to how we have traditionally thought about uh, disease prevention, because honestly, to that point, we had not talked about cardiovascular disease reversal. We, we talked potentially a little bit about diabetes reversal, but not about cardiovascular disease reversal. So what do we mean when we say that? So what, what Dean did was he took patients and divided them into two groups. And one group went through his lifestyle medicine program, which was comprised of, and still is, one hour of nutrition, which is lecture and food. So when I'm in the office, I try to sneak up and at least eat lunch with those guys if I can. Mm -hmm. um, one hour of exercise, which is essentially the same as what you get in traditional cardiac rehab, which is more of an exercise-focused approach to reducing future events. An hour of stress reduction, which is predominantly uh, comprised of meditation and gentle yoga, hatha yoga, uh, a lot of seated yoga for some of our patients with orthopedic issues and that sort of thing. And an hour of group support where patients sit around in a circle and talk about whatever's on their mind. And we are not, uh, that is just with a uh, licensed clinical social worker or clinical psychologist in the group. Uh, we are not invited to the, to being in that group if you're not part of that group. And, and interestingly, I, I felt that the data around the nutrition and exercise piece was compelling and measurable and sort of my comfort zone. Uh, a little less so with the meditation part because as my patients and colleagues in Asheville know, that's, that's probably the part that I personally struggle with the most, trying to get into a daily habit of some sort of way to reduce chronic stress. And the part that was completely unknown to me was the group support. And I will say that having done Ornish now here for two years in Asheville, it is the Ornish, the uh, group support rather, is really the glue that keeps it all together. It, it really is, I think, arguably, if you would ask those participants who've completed that program, I think they would say that that maybe was the part that was most valuable to them. So Dean put patients through that program or they were randomized to optimal medical therapy, which at the time uh, that this trial started was mostly aspirin, beta blockers, and antianginals, things like lung-acting nitrates, MDUR, nitroglycerin patch. Um, this was sort of pre Statins at first, you know, I think we sort of forget that statins ha haven't always been around. I graduated from medical school in 1994, and that was when the 4S trial, the Scandinavian Simvastatin Survival Study, 
trial was published in the Lancet uh, looking at uh, the effect of simvastatin or, or Zocor on outcomes. And so it was the early 1990s that statins really started taking off. So he randomized these patients into two groups and he did heart casts on all of them. And then they performed something called quantitative angiography where the computer blows up a picture of your artery in cross section and long section, not in the donut view, but the, the width and looks inside the artery and measures the degree of narrowing of that artery. And then these patients were randomized for one year. And then at the end of the year, they had another heart catheterization and underwent quantitative angiography for a second time. And what he found, I think to his surprise, was that there was a slight regression, a slight decrease in the amount of cholesterol buildup in the Ornish group and a slight progression in the medical therapy group. And I think that most physicians and, and most cardiologists do see cardiovascular disease as a chronic progressive process. And so when you say, well, wait, we can, we can reverse your disease with the lifestyle medicine program, I think most people said, that's crazy. That's not anything we have ever talked about and that just can't be right. So I think Dean had the foresight to say that's, that's going to be the response. So he extended it another four years. And so we now have five-year data published. And what he found at the end of five years was that there was about a 28% progression of cholesterol buildup in the arteries in the patients who were on, quote, optimal medical therapy. And there was an 8% regression in patients who went through his lifestyle medicine program. And I think you could say, well, you know, 8% regression, what have you really accomplished there? You know, you had a 40% blockage and at five years you have a 32% blockage. Um, and I'll tell people, and sometimes they're sort of taken aback when I tell them this, and, and hopefully Dean doesn't listen to this podcast and, and criticize me for saying this, but it's, as a clinical cardiologist, I actually really don't care whether or not you have a 30% or a 40% or a 50% blockage in your heart artery, and arguably, neither should you. What really matters is, do people feel better, and do they live longer? So what is, I think, most powerful about the Ornish program and his published data was not that it showed that you could actually disease or reduce uh, cholesterol buildup in heart arteries. But when you look at things like angina, and as I told you about my Ohio patient who was limited and it really ruined his quality of life for a while, in the Ornish group at five years, patients were 91% less likely to complain of angina while in the medical therapy group who were on anti-anginal medical therapy, they had 165% increase in anginal symptoms. And more important, potentially more important, is that at five years, there was a two and a half fold lower event rate for cardiovascular events in the Ornish group compared to the optimal medical therapy group. And we're talking about things like heart attack, stents, bypass surgeries, hospitalization for chest pain, and of course, cardiovascular death. 
of patients in his program either stopped or reversed their coronary heart disease and had about an average of 300% increase in their blood flow on stress testing. Now, as a, as a lipidologist, what also fascinates me about that study is that there was a 20% reduction in LDL, in the bad cholesterol levels, in both groups. Now, 60% in the optimal medical therapy group were on statins. Today, that would be much higher and likely in 95% or more because we're being graded on that when patients are discharged from the hospital, not whether or not we talked to them about diet, but whether or not they were treated with optimal medical therapy, including aspirin, statin, and beta blocker. And 0% in the Ornish group were on statins. Yet, they had the same LDL reduction, and the Ornish group had a 90% reduction in angina compared to an over 100% increase in angina with medical therapy. And the patients in the Ornish group had a two and a half fold lower cardiovascular event rate. So I think that that for me really brought home that medicines can be useful for symptom relief and risk reduction, but they just don't work as well as lifestyle modification. Yeah, those are powerful numbers. And, you know, it's so powerful to see the side-by-side -side comparison of the same reduction in cholesterol, yet via medication, all you're doing is slowing progression um, by lowering that cholesterol, whereas through the lifestyle, you're not only slowing progression, you're reversing, but you're really getting at these pathways that are at the root cause of a lot of the symptoms that occur, such as, you know, the antioxidants and the anti-inflammatories that you know, release the nitric oxide that help dilate arteries and increase blood flow. Can, can you talk a little bit about why is lifestyle just so powerful? Like, how does it get to, you know, at the root cause and make such a dramatic difference? Well, I think it, it, it works in so many different ways. It would be a, a symposium into itself. But <laughs> you, you mentioned nitric oxide, and, and I, I would like to, to talk about that for just a moment. So my patient, my Ohio patient who had a dramatic reduction, essentially relief of his angina with only a week or so of changing his diet, that he didn't have cardiovascular disease reversal. He didn't have cholesterol that was melting away from his heart arteries in one week. What he did was he dramatically increased nitric oxide production. Nitric oxide really is a miracle molecule. It's a very potent vasodilator. So it dilates blood vessels. It's produced by the endothelium, which is the, which is the lining of the blood vessels, which is another you know, miracle of the human body. It's a single layer, one single cell layer lines all of your cardiovascular system, heart, blood vessels, even lymphatics. And that lining, that endothelium produces nitric oxide under the right circumstances. So if you're, if you're eating a very high fat, high sodium, high sugar diet, and you're increasing abdominal adiposity, fat around the organs, including the heart, you are decreasing the ability of that endothelium to produce nitric oxide. And the body has an incredible ability to heal itself under the right circumstances. So if you eat, so what does increase nitric oxide? Well, mostly nitrate-rich foods, which are mostly plants, 
especially beets, greens, and nuts. So anybody who's you know an athlete probably is familiar with so-called beet doping and uh, increasing your beet intake to increase your nitric oxide to, to be able to run longer and exercise. And it doesn't take long. I mean, that, that's what's such a miracle to me is that if you do this and you're having chronic angina and you start exercising and eating a whole food plant-based diet, your endothelium will start producing nitric oxide very quickly. And you can have a dramatic, dramatic reduction in your symptoms. That is just tremendous. Um, Brian, thank you so much. You know, I, I would love to talk more about um, the successes that you're seeing in the programs that you're running. And, and I'm so thankful for the work that you're doing to, to really pr provide so much great information about what a person can do, as you said, to prevent 90 to 95% of heart disease. Um, even people that seem to be at a later stage of the heart disease process. So um, thank you for all the work that you're doing, um, spreading all this great information um, that helps empower people. And uh, I would love to have you come back and tell us some more um, about the successes that you're having with your programs up in Asheville. I would love to do that. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's so empowering for patients really to understand that they're in charge of their health care. Uh, I think that that for a lot of people that's scary. They're not ready for that. They don't want to be in charge of their health care. They want things to be just fixed by someone who knows more about it. But the truth is that no one can help you reverse some of these chronic disease processes than you can. And the other thing that I will point out before we run out of time is that this is also so great for physicians. I, I cannot tell you how great it is, how energetic. It's just a totally different energy that you get from an office day or from an Ornish meeting or a chip meeting um, than you get from managing statin side effects in a, stat, in a lipid clinic. It's, it's revitalizing. I think that, that one of the reasons that physicians are burning out in, in large numbers, is that they, they have some sense, whether or not it's consciously or subconsciously, that this isn't really what I bargained for, and I'm really not in charge of my patient's care as much as I want to be. And when you start focusing on lifestyle medicine, and you don't have to, as a provider, you don't have to start an Ornish program or CHIP program, all you need to do is educate yourself about the difference that it makes. Start talking to your patients about what a difference it makes. And I can almost guarantee you that you will come out of a 25 patient office day feeling elated instead of deflated. It's the feeling you get when you're, you know, you're at the end of the day and you're just so tired, you don't want to exercise. But once you do it, you feel better. It's that same feeling. And, and it's, um, you can recapture the joy of practicing medicine. So I, I really encourage any of your listeners who are uh, physicians or providers, advanced practitioners, anybody who touches a patient, become familiar with some of this stuff. Go to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine website, go to the meetings, uh, go to local programs, learn the data, incorporate it in whatever way you see fit to your office visit, and start to love medicine again. 
that is just such a win-win and um, so great that you can reduce your own rate of um, developing and preventing your own heart disease by being so gratified doing what you do, helping others prevent heart disease. Um, so that's great. Well, Brian, thank you again. Um, and I appreciate all the great information you've shared. Thank you, Sharon. I, I, I really, I, I really want to congratulate you publicly on, on what you're doing with the whole health cure podcast. It, it's uh, it's a great idea and it's going to make a big difference. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org slash livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.